Indispensable is a podcast focused on hearing about the business truths, tools, and tips others can't do without. After interviewing hundreds of people for their LinkedIn profiles and talking with thousands of people looking to use professional platforms more strategically, I've had the pleasure of meeting and getting to know people that lead, create, and engage within their companies and in their communities with great intention, abundance, focus, and sheer grit. I want to share their stories so that you can gain insight from a variety of people, not just the podcast and tech rock stars that have become household names. Rather, let's focus on the people whose stories influence those around them, and maybe even you. Everyone has indispensable truths, tools, and tips, even if they haven't realized it yet. And while this podcast isn't about LinkedIn and how to use it, it may weave its way in from time to time. It is, after all, our favorite platform for networking and doing business. Come, join us, and get to know some of my colleagues, clients, friends, and neighbors. Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to spend the next few minutes with you and Keith Daw. Keith Daw is the Vice President of Growth Opportunities for McDonald Consulting Group, and they are a Sandler franchise. And Keith and I have really had the opportunity to get to know one one another, especially over the last um, few months. And we share a lot in common. We both have a love for sales and LinkedIn and all things related to getting things done. So welcome, Keith. I'm excited to have you with us today. Thanks, Colleen. I'm glad to be here. So let's just jump in. You know, our title of our podcast is Indispensable, the business truths, tools, and tips that you can't do without. And knowing you as I do, I think you probably have a number of those that you, we can talk about today. I hope so. <laughs> so let's just jump in and talk to me about your title first, because the first thing I asked you about was, tell me about your title before we jumped on the call. So why don't you share your title um, with our audience and explain what it stands for? Okay, so if you looked at a business card or even on the LinkedIn profile, it says VPGO. And there are some people that will never pay attention to it. And there are people like yourself that'll be curious and ask the question. And, and so obviously it'd be very easy for me, just like everybody else, and say, hey, vice president and et cetera. And I'm not saying that titles aren't important. I'm not saying people haven't worked uh, really hard in their careers to earn and or justify the titles. But there's a lot of times where people are like, oh, you're a vice president, and they automatically might say whether that's an awesome thing or, oh, you're just another vice president. So from a pure conversation starter, a little bit of a pattern interrupt, if somebody cares about your title and what it is, they'll ask. If they don't, well, then it doesn't matter. And, and at some point, it's just an opportunity for someone to be inquisitive about me and then for me to be able to answer a question and then start being inquisitive about them. Great. Now you mentioned something in pattern interrupt. Talk to me about how important pattern interrupt is. Okay. So to me, it's extremely important. And it's something that I think a lot of people don't know is a thing and should be or could be. When we're talking about a sales training and things along those lines, uh, we, we use it to say, 
maybe a cold call. As soon as you call someone, if you sound like every other, you know, salesperson, uh, hey, can I speak to the person that makes decisions on it's either a click or you get transferred that phantom voicemail that nobody answers. So the idea of the pattern interrupt is how do you say something that breaks these scripts that people have in their mind from experiences in the workforce, scripts from their growing up and just other things around the world that makes people stop and think, wait a second, what did they just say? And, and now you can actually have a genuine conversation instead of people just giving you the, 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 the proverbial nod, nodding and agreeing, nodding and agreeing, we'd be quiet so I can say something. Right. And do you find that salespeople kind of have a problem figuring out their own ways to create pattern interrupt? They, they do because their own, this is the way I've always done it, their own little scripts, if you will. And again, most of those scripts have been either based upon our experiences or based upon very well-intentioned adults in our life that have just kind of programmed us with this, you know, the don't talk to strangers, but go networking and, you know, all those kind of things. And, and so I think, and I had a perfect example of a client this morning that we had talked about what she was going to present to a prospect for a potentially huge meeting, potentially the biggest deal of her career today. And when she sent it back, she's like, are you really sure that? I'm like, yes, trust me, go ahead. And the response she got back was, that was great. Love the approach. But it, so it's sometimes we get in our own way of breaking the habits and therefore we're actually perpetuating what prospects or our employees or even just some of our colleagues do. Right. And that's really a great segue for... Um, you sharing with us how you define your role. Tell us a little bit about what you do and how you do it. Wow. So there's a loaded question. Yeah, so, I know, right? <laughs> so I, I do a lot of things in a lot of different ways for, for, for a lot of different people. Uh, at Translation, I want to go ahead and, and help people to identify and amplify their talents. So whether they're an awesome salesperson that just knows I can take it to a whole nother level, whether it's somebody in a leadership role that says, I'm not there yet, but I, you know what, I want to get there in five or eight years instead of 25 years if somebody's, you know, picks me or, or people that just want to be more intentional about getting better. Um, and so at that point, there's a lot of different ways for us to start the conversation. Some it's a skills thing. I just don't know how to do it, but yet I'm committed to. Sometimes it's a little bit of a self-esteem, motivational, not sure if I'm comfortable, like with the pattern interrupt, or sometimes there, I'm not sure whether I could or should have that executive mindset when I'm only 28 years old. So understanding what those things are and, and how to best get them from where they are to where they want to be. Great. And that really follows, um, I recall you saying when we were together not too long ago, getting stuff done in a nurturing way. Yes. There are some people that need a nudge. There's some people that need accountability. There's, there's some people that need a, the proverbial kick in the you-know-where. But at some point, I think self-aware people and people who want to win, people want to succeed, whatever succeed looks like for them, chances are they have a pretty good understanding of what they might need. And, and my job is just to, to be that partner to them. And how does that roll over to you personally? Because it seems to me this sort of must be how you approach your, your life in general, not just, you know, your working day. It, it is. I am, I am a very results oriented person, not kind of a at all costs type of thing, not to the extreme, but 
I've, I've always, I grew up in a military family. I've always been involved with sports. So there's always been a competitive, uh, there's always been that, can I give a little extra or did I at least leave everything on the field? And you know, I gave it my all. So there's always been that mindset, uh, been fortunate enough to have successes in, in each career positions that I've had over the years. But I think at the same time, it also then gets you to a point where you realize, wow, there, there could have been different things or, or better ways to, to do things. And having worked at international firms and private firms and family owned and owning my own firm, it gives you a lot of different perspectives. And so now in this role here for a little over seven and a half years, I feel as though just about anybody that I come across, I can relate to some extent with where they are in their career and, and maybe what things they might need. So not only is there the relatability factor, which then if I need to give them that, that, that nudge or that accountability, they can, uh, they're willing to get some tough love. But at the same time, I also feel like there's that personal passion, if you will, because I know what could happen if you don't, and I know what could happen if you do. So if they're committed to excellence, I'm committed to getting them there. And how do you typically um, sort out their commitment to excellence? Because lots of salespeople, and I, having been in sales all of my career um, and knowing a lot of salespeople, sometimes we're our own best BSers, right? So we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're trained at, at making people, influencing people when maybe deep in our heart, it's really not what we're thinking or what we want to be doing. So what's your, what's your sniff out? What's your filter for being able to find those people who are really committed? Very good. Very good. So I, I'd like to think that my BS radar is pretty, pretty attuned. And, and, and quite frankly, it, it's just, it's just challenging them on it and, and challenging it in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is, okay, so let's pretend. And I'll do this if it was with a prospect, I'll do this with clients or just people in general, but you know, hey, let's pretend it's three months from now and nothing has happened. What do we do? Who fires who? Let's pretend it's three months from now and you're really moving that needle. Then what do we do? You know, what does moving the needle mean? So to me, it's just really thinking very strategically, very tactically, you know, tactically mm-hmm. in some of those things. And if they seem like they have a plan, if you could see the gears going and you could see them kind of getting excited about what could happen or on the reverse, you could see that, 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 that look on their face and, oh my gosh, if I don't do something. So I, I think those people, it's easier to, to self-select. Uh, I do have some people where I'll say, let's forget about a year or two year engagement, which ultimately is what it would take. Let's figure out the next 90 days. What has to happen where either it's successful or I'm firing you or you're firing me. And I think that's a really good gut check. Not everybody is necessarily going to replicate it, but to me, that's a bit of a gut check of, should we be doing this? Should you be taking your time or your, your investment financially as well? Uh, because if, if I don't feel like the conviction's there, I'm just going to tell them they should probably just, just keep it. Or I can send them some, some links to some really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know, to me, it's, I, I want to work with the people that are, are committed to excellence. Right. And do you see that salespeople think it should be easier now because of so many online tools and marketing software automation and just automation in terms of processes overall in businesses. How do you think that that's sort of impacted how salespeople think about their roles? 
I, I think it's impacted it hugely. And a lot of times when I talk to salespeople, they think sales is a lot harder now than it used to be. Because while there's all these tools and resources for us to to do what we need to do, you know, LinkedIn, it's a phenomenal tool to be able to uncover all kinds of great opportunities or leverage relationships. But on the flip side, the consumer, the prospect, the whomever has access to so much information. And sometimes they might feel as though they know everything that they need to know uh, about your situation before you even get there. And just like us going on to WebMD and, and self-diagnosing, we might get it wrong sometimes. And, and so I think there's a lot of challenges that wealth of information is great in some cases, but can be a hindrance to the sales process and many others. Right. I think that that's so true. And I think it's really interesting that um, sometimes I see salespeople who think using these online tools will be the, the magic bullet, right? It'll be what makes the difference. And it's harder to create and make a dent in all the noise online, much harder today than it was two or three years ago through LinkedIn, right? Like you have to work harder today mm-hmm. to create the same kind of impact that you created two or three years ago. I, I, I agree. I agree. One thing I do like, because when I started using LinkedIn, it was what, nearly 12 years ago after the, as soon as that beta test came up and people said, hey, there's this thing you should try. <laughs> to me, it just looked like an online Rolodex or, you know, just, hey, if the recruiter wanted you. But I got on because a trusted colleague said to get on. And there's definitely been a lot more of the the relationship-ish type stuff, whether it's the, the tone or the nature of post or whether it's people tagging people or including or sharing. So there's a lot more of it. And and I don't know how much of it is just the users doing it, LinkedIn projecting it or, or some combination. So that being said, I, I think there's certainly a, a lot of ways to use the tools and if you're using it as a modern day yellow pages, hey, it's going to be great. But if you're using it as an engagement tool, uh, the two the two should meet some at some point in the middle too. Right. I mean, I've seen huge humanizing of LinkedIn, if you will, right? Super. Where you you see this with your posts, we see it with ours, mine. I, I know lots of business development people who will you know email me and be like, oh my gosh, my my views and my engagement goes up dramatically when I include people. Mm -hmm. And I think that that goes back to, you know, it is person to person, human to human. And we are usually more intrigued with what other people are doing, even above really great content. And I'm a big proponent of really great content. However, I see the difference when we put a picture up there of people doing something professionally. So never want to see it skew any we're beyond what I'm seeing today because I think that would be too much and it, it is a professional network. But I think it's, it's really interesting. And however, I find getting salespeople to engage in this way is sometimes often difficult because they're, number one, maybe concerned about making a mistake. Number two, they're not really sure what fits. So sometimes they do nothing rather than interrupting their own pattern, no pun intended, right? But in doing something different. Thoughts oh, on I, that? I, agree. I agree completely. And again, there have the people that this has always worked for me, so they keep on doing it. But just as we talked about the prospects of change over the years and the selling scenarios of change over the years and access to information has changed. Well, if everything else has changed and your prospecting plan hasn't changed, well, that might be a part of a problem and might be part of the reason that you're running into some roadblocks. So which mm-hmm. is more important, uh, breaking your comfort zone or breaking your goals? Right. 
and I guess um, in a way when you kind of think about measuring and success because you're so metrics oriented in what you do um, and defining that success both for yourself and then for your clients and helping them come up with that, you know, what those metrics, um, sometimes some of these tools can be helpful because they put them out right in front of us, right? Mm -hmm. And so how are some of the ways that you measure success both for yourself and then with your clients? Okay, great question. Uh, so as we're talking about metrics, I'm, I'm looking up on my wall here in the office and I, and I have my, my prospecting plan, my monthly prospecting plan broken out with my, my seven items that I use for my own metrics. And the, the problem that I find sometimes, and I'm not going to say every time, but the problem I find sometimes in some organizations is, is they, they try to manage results. You have this big carry audacious goal, this big number that you know, somebody said, here, go hit this. And then seasoned salesperson or even aspiring salesperson runs out there with all the tools, all the resources to try to go ahead and hit the goal. And then let's check in every week, every month, et cetera. And while that can be successful, sometimes that can be very daunting for a salesperson, particularly if they have a longer sales cycle or they're just having a month where they're just not getting the responses they want. And so from, for me to measure success, both for myself as well as with clients, I'll say, let's, let's manage the behaviors, manage the activities. So I know how many speaking engagements, how many LinkedIn introductions, how many cold calls, how many networking events, referrals given, referrals received. I know how many of those I need to do every week or every month to make certain that I can go ahead and hit that goal because I have those conversion. I have that precedent. And a lot of times organizations, they have great information. What's how many sales did you get last year? What was the dollar value? Was the average of that sale? What's the goal? Let's just do some math and figure out how many first meetings we have to get that process started. And then what are the quantity of specific prospecting activities that, that you need to do to be able to get that number of meetings? And so on any day when somebody is trying to figure out where they should be spending their time or if they're not seeing the, the numbers or not seeing the pipeline in the CRM, it's adjusting the way that it needs to be. All they have to do is say, am I following my plan? Do I, have I done the calls that I need to? Have I scheduled the networking events? Have I made those LinkedIn introductions? And if those are the things that you, are, that you know can be your, your tools to hit the goal, well, then you just need to go back and say, did I do them? Right. I love that because I think you're so right. I think so often salespeople and sales managers are looking at this big number. It's a 12 month race. It's a big number or, you know, give me the business plan. And then they don't break it down to what I, what can I do today and tomorrow? And what should I be doing every single day? Mm -hmm. and, and I think I run into people in that situation as well too, where then all of a sudden then it's a mad race and if it's a mad race, either A, you come across as too pushy, or B, now all of a sudden, the last minute, the last hour, guess what gets sacrificed? Your margin. People start cutting prices, cutting corners, uh, maybe even just saying, well, look, why don't we just start with this one little piece of scope of work instead of, so I think also, it's just like the term paper thing when we were all in school, we're all guilty of it. You know, it's a lot easier. You'll probably have a better product and probably larger sale, larger margins if you have this process. And from a leadership standpoint, whether you're the owner of the company or a sales manager or sales director, for you to be able to say, you know, are we looking at, are we looking at leading indicators or, or lagging indicators? Mm -hmm. uh, are we looking at what's going to work? Are we looking at what we did that 
is obviously not producing results. And so I am not always a super analytical person. Uh, I'm that results oriented, but I know if I want to get the results, I have to stick around and, and do some of the extra details that not necessarily are, are, are natural to me, if you will. And what's the role in your opinion um, regarding management and the CEO who um, says, well, the salesperson not only has to sell the new business, but then they have to manage or deliver the services, right? Because we know that that often can take up a lot of time. And it's, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, when they finally have taken care of all their customer problems and gotten everything through production or whatever that might, their scenario might be. And then at three o'clock, they're like, okay, now I have to make calls. Ooh, don't really feel like it. Oh, probably nobody wants to hear from me now and nothing gets done and I'll do it tomorrow. But it's such a vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you coach to that? Well, so that is, that is the, the, the ever, it depends conversation. Mm -hmm. So like those people, I am in that hybrid role where my job is to find professionals, teams, companies, organizations that want to grow. And then also I'm part of that part of that the development, part of the training, part of the coaching, sometimes almost exclusively with me and sometimes uh, others on our team, depending upon the, the scope of what we're, what we're doing and what makes sense for them. So sometimes that can be a balance. And, and that's where I think there can sometimes be a disconnect. And this is why we don't want to do any kind of sales thing unless we're talking to leadership at some point, just to make sure that there's not a disconnect and it works. However, it's if you have this person as an expectation that they're going to bring in some huge number, but yet 60% of their time is being spent on the account management, I'm not saying that that's wrong or it's not the right percentage, but I want to manage expectations of how much is growing existing business and how much of it is going out there as a hunter and getting new business. And is that person wired to do so? And if the salesperson thinks that they can hit their number by getting all new business, or they think they can hit their goal by getting all current business, just everybody needs to be aligned in that. And I think the communication in general, everybody's running mock two with their hair on fire. I think sometimes that those little details get lost. Yeah, I think that that's so true. I think it's so good to kind of do check-ins on that too, because I think that can often be a really slippery slope, right? Mm -hmm. And especially when there's lots of change, either in a company or maybe new products rolling out. And that kind of leads me to, when you think back on the last, you know, three, four, five years, how has your approach changed as you relate to your clients and prospects? How has my, my approach as, as far as guiding them? Correct. Mm -hmm. So definitely looking at more than just what they come to me with. You know, so I think in most cases, a, a prospect will always go to a salesperson or, or somebody and whatever problem that they're, that they're suggesting, it's usually not the real problem. Or if it is, they don't know the underlying reasons for it. So based upon experiences prior to this world, as well as you know, seven plus years doing it, recognizing more and more that when people come to me and hey, Keith, this is what hurts, or hey, Keith, this is what I'm interested in. I have some general ideas of what might be causing that internally. So that's when I pause and suggest, before we start talking about the skills, let's talk about a few other things. Tell me about your staff. Tell me about how you're structured. Tell me about your strategy. Right now, with uh, so many people that are looking for, in the mindset of secession planning, or are we looking to do sales and leadership because you want to you want to sell it in five years, or we want to do sales and leadership to be able to build something that's a 25, 30 year legacy for your for your future? 
Uh, are you going to have to change how you're structured or some of your models and your hierarchy? Do we have to add certain things or eliminate certain things? Uh, and then ultimately, when it comes to the, to the staff part, uh, you know, Jim Collins wrote a, you know, some great books. And one of, his, one of his things that people use is, you know, make sure your people are on the right seats of the bus. Well, well Keith Dawn likes to say sometimes they're on the wrong bus. So <laughs> if, if you're trying to get that person that they're that awesome account manager, they're, they're the farmer, they're the one that can get inquisitive and really get deep and wide inside of an organization and identify opportunities to grow that account. And you said, all right, awesome. People love you. Let's kick you out in the field. Don't come back until you sell something. They're doomed to fail. And, and making certain that we have that role alignment and, and I think there are sometimes some organizations, they don't really have a pretty good, a really good idea of what kind of talents and strengths their team really does have. And, and are they setting them up for success or are they just expecting them to just make miracles happen? Right. And do you see, I was talking to somebody who said, you know, I'm trying to find an inside salesperson. I'm like, oh, okay, no problem. And they're like, I can't find anybody. I'm like, really? That seems odd to me. And so we started talking about, I'm like, well, maybe look under this new phrase, um, BDR, business development rep, right? Do you see that there are real segmentation in terms of functional roles within the sales process now? Can you talk to that for a minute? I, I, I can a little bit, yes. And I, and I see, so one of the things I've, I've, I love when people come up with creative titles, hence our, our start of our conversation, mm-hmm. because it can be a conversation starter. But I think at the same time, what one person sees as business development is you are a brand ambassador. Well, no, this person's a salesperson. Well, this person's an extension of marketing. And this is a, I can see inside sales being, okay, so are you a, outbounds and I and I hate to use the word telemarketer, but are you an outbound person just trying to see if there's an opportunity going through lists or is the inside sales someone who's receiving inbound to be able to qualify them and put them in the right place? Is it in a call center? Are you the only person? So I think there could be a lot of different usages and a lot of different interpretations of, of what various of, of various phrases are. And I was an outstanding inside salesperson at my last job, but now things have changed and I want to go someplace else. And I can come into this organization and have an amazing interview. And they said, okay, great. You're going to be the best inside salesperson ever. And then three months later, we're all looking at each other like, okay, this is not working. So again, assumptions out there, uh, making certain that everybody is just actively communicating on what are the expectations? What are the tasks? Where are my skills? Where, where do I need to get development? And then that's where I think the metrics come across. Because if I'm looking at the, my, my plan and, and I'm thinking, wow, oh my gosh, I got to go to six networking events. Oh my, there's, there's, there's no way I'm going to have a panic attack. There's no way I could do that. Or if I had to make, so these are things I think by looking at all of the aspects, it's where A, organizations can make sure that there's not any assumptions and then at the same time, this is where me kind of just asking, being very curious, kind of channeling that inner Columbo, as I like to say, mm-hmm. uh, it's an opportunity for me to maybe help them look at their situation a little bit differently. And if there are any little holes or gaps, maybe I can help, or maybe I can at least let them know some of the things that they need to address. So that way, whatever we do is, is going to work. Right. And I think part of the reason you're so attuned to this alignment and exactness, if you will, in in defining language is because of your training with a tool called DISC, correct? 
I, I like to think so. And that kind of goes to the how has things changed over the last uh, seven plus years as well. Yes. So tell us a little bit um, about your, how much you've studied DISC and how you implement it. And probably start with just explaining to our audience in case they've never heard of it, what DISC is. Okay. So I'll start with the latter part, if that's okay. Yep, absolutely. So, so DISC is behavioral psychology. It's based upon some of the, so all these, all these names of, of famous psychologists that we learned when we were in high school and college and probably forgotten about and understanding the, the human dynamic, how and why people communicate, how they behave, things that are natural to one that's not natural to another, why we tend to gravitate towards certain people or situations and at the same time, maybe shun or, or, or avoid others. And over the years, there have been assessments that have been put together uh, where DISC has been used from a hiring standpoint, from a team standpoint, a team builder, to be able to understand are there certain attributes, and I'll touch on those in a minute here, a couple attributes that we might like to see on this team, or how do we all you know, get to play together in the sandbox, etc. And one of the things that, that I've learned over the years, other than the fact that wow, I wish I had this tool 20-something years ago. But one of the things that I've learned over the years is organizations will use it to a certain level, but they may not always have either the ability or the time to actually integrate it within the culture of of the team. Hmm. So to give a quick insight onto D stands for the dominant, that traditional type A type person, results-oriented, three bullets, not three paragraphs. The, The I is the influencer energetic, persuasive, this is the one that a lot of times has a, has a good following. And then the S is that steady relator. They're the rock. They're the, the tried and true, the one that always makes sure that things get done in the organization, sometimes the glue that holds things together. And, and the C is the, the, the compliant, the, the analytical. Uh, they have a precedent. Rules, precedent. Rules are here for a certain reason. And let's make sure that everything's aligned and we know why we're doing what we're doing. And everybody has all four present, but usually there's one that's clearly dominant, maybe a, a secondary or a tertiary that comes into, into play. So why this is important is if a salesperson understands, here's what my disc style is and the potential upside or downside, and now I'm going to be meeting with one or more people who might have different styles than I am, if I'm not willing to adjust my conversation or adjust my behaviors I might inadvertently just set, make them uncomfortable or I might overload them or I might underwhelm them as the case might be. And same thing with leadership. So one style fits all style of communication and coaching is, is not going to work well internally. And so at some point you could be a doormat. At some point you could have, uh, you could be you know, everybody's friend and have a lot of happy, happy coworkers that are highly unproductive, but everybody likes you. Uh, or at some point you could end up being a tyrant. You know what's so great about this tool is that over the years, um, I've seen people kind of categorize salespeople as a certain type, right? You know, well, they're super extroverted or they're, um, or they like to network or, you know, um, they're really loud or they're effervescent. And those aren't always the attributes of a really successful salesperson all the time. Correct. And kind of digging into what DISC, provides um, illuminates maybe the best kind of salesperson for particular companies products and services right 
So I remember taking it years and years ago and just took it recently with you. And, you know, I probably would not be very good at selling things that are super transactional because I like the people aspect of it. And so that's good for me to know as a salesperson, I really wouldn't want to put myself in those situations where I, I think I'm a, an okay salesperson, but I can't sell anything because it's really doesn't actually play to my strengths. Sure. And I have, I have seen over the years, certainly, oh, we want more of this or less of this or, and, and, and while I think some cases that can be helpful, I have seen phenomenally successful salespeople in, in all four of those quadrants. Mm-hmm. Part of it is just them understanding what are my superpowers and how do I use it? And what are the areas that do not come naturally and how can I adapt or, you know, or, or overcome some of those, some of those limitations I might have. So the D style, who's not afraid to be able to be assertive, hopefully not aggressive, but be assertive in the sales process and who's results oriented, put my, I want to see my name on the top of the, 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 the chart every week or every month, you know, so obviously those are some, you know, some, some great things, but you don't want a stone cold killer. The, the I styles at some point that might be able to get the whole team moving and, and you know, they never know a stranger. So let's go to a networking event and let's meet a bunch of people. However, I've also seen the, say, the S and the C styles that are typically more reserved, typically going to be more of your introverted, if you will. The, the S style says, you know, I have this process. I have these things. If I don't have these tough conversations that are a little uncomfortable for me, but if I don't have these tough conversations with my clients, well, then they're going to be underserved. They're not going to get what they're, not, they're going to need. If I don't do these things... Uh, then at some point they're going to probably be mad at me or frustrated. Like, why didn't you tell me you could do that, Colleen? And, and I'm not okay with doing that for my, my clients. But if you tell them to go out there and be a salesperson and here's your quota, they're, they're going to feel crippled. So understanding those dynamics, some of the best salespeople that I've met are actually people that are that, that C style, which you would think would be, oh my gosh, nothing but. However, they love to have a process when they understand the why and they have something that can be replicated and produce consistent results, take away some of that risk adverse because they have something that's proven, then they're like machines sometimes. And because they will do what needs to be done. I know that if I work this plan that we put together, I'm going to go ahead and get those results. It's why it's not surprising that a lot of very successful professional athletes uh, are that C style. They do the drills. They, they, they get the batting practice. They take the golf strokes. They, they make the throws. The, they run the drills because they know that's what they need to do to succeed. Right. And they've typically, number one, tapped into their superpower. And number two, hired a coach to help them do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, yeah, so all of those high performing people, business wise or sales or, or business wise or sports, they all have coaches, both as far as the technical stuff, but most of them have some kind of coaches to, to, to help them get through and, and, and get the best out of them personally as well. Right. So let's talk about you for a second and kind of segue over into another area, knowing your superpowers, <laughs> if you weren't doing what you're doing. What would you like to be doing? So I, I had this conversation with somebody yesterday. It was kind of uh, timely. So first of all, I, I feel with everything in me that I'm doing what I was meant to do. Uh, all those things that looking back, I'm like, wow, that didn't work so well. And now having all those things that I can bring into this equation using said. However, if, if at some point there was something else I could do, I, I'd honestly just want to be a professional philanthropist. 
So whether that is augmenting stuff with foundations, whether that's working with startups and incubators, you know, all the things we're starting to talk about where some, some young visionary or somebody young to a professional career says, oh my gosh, I had this amazing idea. We should do this. And all the things that they don't know and, oh yeah, that capital thing could come into play. <laughs> to, to me, that would be probably the, the most fulfilling, but it's still, it, it, it's, 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 it's still going to be similar to some of the things that I'm, that I'm doing now, but just perhaps with a, with a different focus and a lot less of the, the producer responsibilities. Right. And you do a lot in the community. Um, Keith is in Baltimore and he does a lot in the community, United Way and the Chamber, Habitat for Humanity. So you definitely are using some of those superpowers in really great ways already. Right. So just take it to another level. Is that correct? I, yes. So I have been, I've been blessed in over my career to be able to go ahead and meet a bunch of amazing people. Uh, sometimes I listen to what they said and now I, now it all kind of clicks a little bit. So I, I do believe in giving generously and whether it is to those nonprofit organizations or whether it's incubators uh, thinking about some of these future, future leaders. Uh, there's so many called a young professionals or emerging leaders and regardless of where they want to go, let's make sure they have all the tools that they need. Because at, at some point, say what you will about millennials as a, as a group, guess what? There's some amazing, amazing talent. And let's go ahead and make sure we give them what they need. Because ultimately, they're going to be running the show not too long from now. So how can we impart our wisdom? And sometimes the, the, the nonprofit organizations are, are the best way to do that. Uh, partly because they have limited budgets so that time, talent, treasure. If I'm not going to be writing $50,000 checks to each of them, at least if I can teach their teams how to go get $50,000 checks, then then that's a way for me to give back as well. Right. I think that that's great. Would DISC be one of the first tools you would impart? I I think it should be the, the starting point for just about every training, sales or, or leadership, because really it's just about a communications tool. Uh, there have been times where I've done an all-day disc training and I just realized like, oh, so basically I am a, I am a hack psychologist that uh, teaches communications training and, and the sales and leadership stuff is just kind of a byproduct. Uh, don't know that I'm going to put that on our, on our website or, or my LinkedIn profile, but when it really comes down to it, it's all about how can you be a, a very intentional communicator if you can be master of the art of communication and being able to be that professional chameleon to, to kind of zig and zag and adapt to those conversations, I think the rest just kind of falls into place. So whether it's the, oh my gosh, I can never ask that person for a million dollar estate you know, gift because you make 35, 40, $50,000 a year, you know, how do we make sure that our own styles, our own things aren't getting in the way? Uh, I, I think DISC is a, a phenomenal tool. Right. And I think it's absolutely something you carry over into your personal relationships, family, friends, coworkers, the whole nine yards. It, it just is one of those tools that is illuminating, but only illuminating if you actually pull it out every once in a while and continue to work on it. So it, it helps you be, continue your journey as a work in process. Agreed. High, high school would have been a whole lot easier if I'd understood this. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So considering this podcast is called Indispensable, can you share some of the business truths that have shaped and inspired you? I think we've touched on them, but like, let's really articulate those. 
Okay. So I think one of the one of the biggest things is is goal setting. And there's a number of different reasons why people do and a number of reasons why people don't. There's statistics about oh 90% that I don't know how how accurate some of those statistics are, but I do believe in the quote that if you don't make your own plan you're going to be part of somebody else's. So I think one of the things we want to start with everybody where we can is what are you trying to accomplish? What is your goal? And then everything else is what needs to happen between now and then to to make that happen. So when people have the goals, they're they they have that thing to shoot for. And whether it's a number or whether it's a vacation or whether it's a quality time with their family or or whatever that needs to be, you need to have that goal. And then secondarily is to find that personal motivation. And you've heard any number of different ways about find your why or find your purpose. You know, at, at some point, what is really going to get you out of bed in the morning when you don't want to? What's going to make you pick up that phone and make some cold calls? What's going to make you do those things that are uncomfortable or unnatural? And at some point, if you can look and see that goal, that's the thing that's going to make you do what needs to be done, even though you don't want to do it. And so I think those are probably the, the two things that, that I think everyone should start with and that they don't necessarily. And then I think sometimes they just don't know how to make a plan. So right. you know, a goal without a plan is just a wish. And so whether it's putting together the metrics, like I talked about, you know, my, my monthly cookbook here, you know, or whether it's knowing what tools and resources I need, or whether it's having a coach or whether it's having a mentor, have to have a goal, have to know what your passion is, and then have to have a plan. And if you don't know how to make a plan, well, then you need to find somebody who can. And I would also make certain to be a little vulnerable, which would maybe the fourth one, be vulnerable enough to go ahead and share with people what your passion is and what your goals are, because I think people are reluctant to be held accountable. But I have found that the more I share my goals, even though it might be uncomfortable or natural to me, the more people are more inclined to want to help. And that's the thing where I think asking for help is sometimes very challenging because I think we feel like I just got hired. I should know how to do this. And, and we're afraid of what other people might think about us. Right. I think that's so great. Um, I think dreaming big, having a goal, pursuing that goal with passion is really, really important. I do think asking for help is one of the hardest things to do. And being vulnerable is one of the hardest things to do. And yet it's so rewarding when we actually see that people are interested in helping. People are okay with helping, right? Mm-hmm. They, they kind of really pony up and are happy to do so if they can. It's just, you know, they're, they're not going to think of it for us. So we do need to put that out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. As I'm looking up on my wall with the, how am I going to hit these things and how am I going to do it? It says, give generously, ask for help, time block, sleep, and caffeinate. So those are my, that's my, that's my five-part plan to, to be able to hit my goal this year. That's great. And I'm confident you will. I'm confident. What tools can't you live without? I know you're a little bit like me or a little bit of an app junkie, I think. And, you know, we've talked about tools that we like, but what are the ones you can't live without? So I, I'm very selective on, on apps. It's kind of the, what are the things that I need to make sure I can keep myself in check? But at the same time, I, I see people with their phones and they can't find what app they want because they have so, so many apps. Oh, so, now you're talking about me, I'm afraid. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not pointing fingers, but... So, so for me, it's, I just need quick access to, you know, to, to a calendar. Uh, I like looking at the, the, the email just to be able to see what's coming up. I'm not one of those, if it's in the evening, if I see the light flash, I'll take a quick peek. 
but at the same time, I love my task list. So there are times where I might say, hey, Colleen, thanks for the email. I'll get with you tomorrow morning. And you're just tickled that I even took the time at 730 to send you the email. But I don't need to do it now, and I'm not going to do it now. So I, 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 love, the, I love my task list. I love making certain that those things are, are, are put where they need to be so that I don't forget things because lots moving. Uh, I think a, a CRM product, whether it is for sales, whether it's for project management, whether it's for customer interaction, as much as people hate to take the time to put the admin in here, that's one of those things where whether it's me or whether it's me asking someone to help me put that in there, you have to have the details. Otherwise, it's going to be so hard to hit the goals, remember all the things that you can remember. So I put that app on my phone because it's also a quick way for me to walk out of a meeting, hit record, and put a little put a little note in there. So to me, it's all about a, a efficiency, the time blocking part. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the I'm I'm busy is a colleague of mine said is the the adult version of the dog ate my homework, mm-hmm. and and I think at this point people are like, there's not enough time. You know what? We all have about sixty hours a week where. There's family time, work time, and sleep time. There's about 60 hours a week that most of us have unaccounted for. And so I think just kind of taking a look at where you're spending it and how you're spending it, I think is ultimately, and that's where the apps are. Anything that makes me more efficient, I'm all for it. Anything else is just clutter. Right. I think that that's great. I um I got my notice yesterday that my online usage last week went down 43%. I thought I should celebrate. I was like, that is huge, right? Because so much time is wasted online doing certain things. And so if you use it for good and to stay organized, but you put some parameters around it, acknowledge an email, I'll get back to you tomorrow. Beautiful, right? It's, but it's a lot to manage these days. It is, it is. And I think there are times where spending time on social media, depending upon your role, can be amazing. There's some times where it can be a little cathartic. But for the most part, you mentioned usage down. Uh, I spend very little time on social media outside of just a couple things that are important. You know, hey, here's this fun place that I went over the weekend. And the responses are, wow, it's really good to see that you're working hard and playing hard too. And so that's nice. But where am I spending that, that time? spending the time actually enjoying the things that we're working so hard to get the vacation, the time with family and and friends, you know, in some cases it's put the phone in the pocket and actually Mm -hmm. watch the sunset instead of taking 25 pictures of the sunset. Right. Well, we're going to have to do another um, episode (laughs) just on that because I'm so wrestling with, can people like you and I be successful in our business and not be on social media? And, you know, it might sound like a way out, or too big of a caveat to say, I don't consider LinkedIn social media. However, I don't. But I think we should save that for another podcast because I think you and I could have an awesome conversation around that. No, I, I agree completely. At the how, how is, what is that engagement? But to me, it all goes back to what's your goal. If your goal is to build this immense following, you're going to spend so much more time. If your goal is to use it as a tool the right way, then obviously it might be a lesser amount of time. So yeah, that'd be fun to explore. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I did a, was part of an exercise where a couple of years ago where what emerged from the exercise was that social influence did not directly correlate with driving revenue. Hmm. And, and that's a big topic, right? And 
just this morning, somebody talked to me about, hey, does, you know, if, if we embark on social selling, which I don't really care for that term, but if we embark on social selling, will we hit our numbers? Well, that takes about two hours or more to unpack. But it, it, but it is interesting. And I think we could, I know we could have a great conversation around that. So I'll move to my, my last couple. I only have a couple more questions that I want to hear from you about. Share some of the business tips that have actually woven their way into your routine because you do so much coaching and training and telling, you know, and sharing with people how they can be better at who they are and what they do. What are some of those tips that you kind of take home with you at night? So tips that I've learned or tips that I've learned and imparted to others? That you've taken on yourself because you've heard yourself say them so often to others. Oh yeah. So that whole uh, practice, what you preach. Type thing. <laughs> so, so I think the two of the biggest ones are get enough sleep and, and to, to time block. And in some cases, those are, are diametrically opposing things. Uh, because I think ultimately you have to know, have to be able to get enough sleep so you can be able to do all this other stuff intentionally. And, and at some point just know when to, to cut it off. So, you know, the, the thing I will share with others and I use for myself as a daily talk track is the know when to say when. There are going to be days where I will go 16, 18 hours, but I'm doing it by design. And, and that's where I, I take control. So people will ask, how many hours do you work? It's an average week, 60 to 65 hours by design. I pick the times where I work best. I pick the times that allow me to get the sleep, to do the things that are important to me, to grab dinner with a friend or my dad or, or whatever the case. So I think that's the thing, just do it all on purpose. And the rest are just kind of tools. Mm-hmm. That's great. So as you reflect on your professional journey, would you do it again? Well, of course I would do it again, but uh, there's probably quite a few areas where I'd be tempted to, to, to zig when I, when I should have zagged. Uh, but then at the same time, there's that adage or, or whatever the phrase would be of, you know, we are now accumulation of all the things and all the decisions that we made. So at that point, it may have been an arduous journey. However, at some point when I'm sitting in front of a, from a client and they throw something at me and I can say, you know, I've been there, done that. Uh, there are some times in conversations where people are like, Keith, what kind of job haven't you done over the years? <laughs> so I've sold quite a few different things. And at the same time, I've been in various management leadership roles and had great success and screwed up a lot of stuff. So, so it's, it's difficult to look back and say, I would have done this differently or I would have taken this down the path because things are fun and exciting and, and very fulfilling right now. Uh, I, I think ultimately, if there was a point where I could have started doing what I'm doing now, you know, knowing what I know now then, there might have been a time where I probably could have been a little more vulnerable, probably asked for more help and probably been a little less stubborn and maybe gotten here a little sooner. Right. Well, you know, I was just telling somebody a story about you the other day. Um, I, I do love how you sort of just put it out there. And, and I do think all of the experiences you've had have kind of put you into the place you are today and the person you are today. And I was sharing with somebody just the other day at lunch. I'm like, I went to Keith Dawes half day training. I thought it was Keith doing it. Apparently it was going to be Chris McDonald and then Keith shows up and you had an outfit on, you looked great. You were, but you were casual. And I was like, Oh, he looks nice and casual today. And then you shared the story about how Chris, who was going to do the training was sick 
he texted you at like 4.30 in the morning and you had lined up your entire wardrobe for the week apparently because you had so much training going on that regardless of your day changing, you wore exactly what was scheduled for Friday, even though your day totally changed. I love that. I thought that was great. Cause well, I was part like, of it was a necessity because I was also traveling and hadn't had a chance to go pick up my dry cleaning yet. <laughs> well, whatever it was, I, that was such a great story because I was like, there's somebody that put their plan out there and did not deviate except on the big part, which was his whole day changed. But he didn't stress out, showed up. We had a great three-hour session. It was amazing. It was um, on the acronym BAT, Behavior, Attitude, and Technique. And everybody no matter where they are in their professional sales journey or leadership journey should participate in, with Keith in that learning session because it was amazing. So Keith, Thank where you. can people find you? Where can they find me? Uh, pretty much anywhere in the Baltimore metro area. So our training center is in Towson. And, uh, but LinkedIn is probably one of the best ways to, to go ahead and, and, and find me. And his LinkedIn URL, let me just pop that up, should be um, linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Keith Daw, I believe. And yep, we'll- only, only eight letters, so Keith and then D-A-W. And at this point, because I followed many of your teachings, uh, I will be the first one that will pop up. And if it's a Keith Daw who's an attorney down in Jacksonville, no relation, but <laughs> we have promised at some point to, to go have some beers together. Oh my gosh, that's great. That's great. It's good to like reach out to people who have the same name, right? So find Keith on LinkedIn, reach out to him. Um, If you're interested in really learning how to figure out and master DISC, if you need help with sales training, executive leadership training, you won't go wrong, I promise. Thanks so much, Keith. I so appreciate spending the time with you today. Thanks, Colleen. It was fun. I look forward to the next one. And that's all for Indispensable. Thanks for joining us. We hope to catch you on our next episode. Grab our show notes, review them, check out the links included, and head over to enteroadvisory.com to learn more about the work that we do in our community and with our clients.